Well, hello. Welcome to Real Estate with Wendy podcast. In the booth with me this time, as always, is Gene. And it's a little cold in here today, isn't it? <laughs> today, we're going to be talking about the Burr method. The Burr method is a method of investing in real estate that has been around for a little while. If you look it up, B R R R R R. There's a lot of R's behind that B. So let's talk about what this acronym means, what it stands for, and what it can do for you. Okay, so B, buy. You want to buy a real estate property. You want to buy something that you can, you know, get your hands on, own it. Um, and then, of course, we're going to get into the R's. So you buy a property. Buy, remodel, rent out, refinance, reinvest, repeat. So B, R, 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 R. Buy, remodel, rent out, refinance, reinvest, repeat. You buy a house. Let's say that you've already bought a house. You're living in your house. You own it. Let's say you've got a little mortgage on it. Maybe, you know, 50 grand. But your house is worth 300000 Well, in that case, you have some equity in your home. You could go to your bank, you could go to your credit union, you could go to online, and you can ask them for a loan against the equity that is in your house. It could be a HELOC, it could be a, a secured loan, it could be unsecured, it could be any type of loan, and here's how much we're going to hand you. So what would you do then? Let's say if it's the house you live in and you're living in it and it doesn't need to be remodeled, what might you do then? Hmm, me personally, I'm doing this method now myself. I have a house that I, I own outright. There is no mortgage on it. So I went to my bank and said, hey, how's about a loan? I would like to do some things. Didn't even tell them what I wanted to do, but I want to do some things. So they said, okay, how much do you want? So they, let's just call it 50 grand. First you buy, then you're going to remodel. Let's say you buy a house and, and here's what we mostly do as investors. When you buy a house, you're buying a house for let's say, less than what it's worth. That's what we do as investors. We want to buy for less than whatever it's worth on the dollar. So you get a house generally that needs some work. Generally, if you're buying a house that has equity in it, it's not going to be fixed up 100% or it's going to need some work. So if you buy this type of a property so that you hopefully can get some equity into it, you're going to have to remodel it. Then once you remodel it, what on earth would we do then? The second R is going to be to rent out. Once we've fixed it up, we're going to immediately want to have some passive income coming in and some cash flow coming in and some return on our investment. So you rent it out for, I don't know how long, however you want. It could be three months. It could be six months. It could be a year. However long it is, you then turn around and you're going to go back to your bank and you're going to say, refinance. And again, pull out some of the equity that you have now built into your home because what you've done when you've remodeled it is you've put that equity back in. And every time you put equity back in, you can turn around and pull that equity back out and use that equity that you've pulled out not to remodel again because it's still fixed, but now to reinvest in something new. So when you reinvest in something new, this is the catalyst and the catapult that takes you to a different level. You are using the same money that you initially had that got the house in the first place. Now you're taking that money and pulling it out, but you're not selling your house. You're not getting rid of your asset. 
You're not stopping to receive that money every month. You're just taking that money that represents building number one, and now you're buying building number two. You still have number one, and you get all of those benefits, but now you have number two over here, and you have twice the buying power, twice the assets, and twice the equity to now turn around and do twice the stuff with. So buy, remodel, rent out, take the money and refinance, reinvest the money into something else, and repeat and do it again. Very simple. Brr, it's a cold method out there. So the repeat part, I could do this three or four times over until I wanted to stop? You could do it three or four times in a year. You could do it three or four times in a month. You could do it three or four times in your lifetime. It's as often as you want to do it, as often as you feel comfortable, as often as you want to work, you can knuckle down and you can really dig in and do this. Like there are hardcore investors that turned two into 20 in a month and they went out and they did incredible things that you would think, oh my gosh, but it can be done. And again, it's all about what you initially have to invest. If you take, say for example, a duplex and you turn around and you buy two duplexes, now you can buy a quadplex and a, a, an apartment complex. You know, you could buy a city block. You can turn small things into big things very quickly using this method. It's all about how quickly do you want to press the gas? How fast do you want to go? How many times do you want to turn around and tell the bank, yeah, I want some more money, let's go. And they'll just keep giving it to you. It's the craziest thing. Okay, so going back to buy, uh, I often get asked, Wendy, what types of houses do I want to buy? What do I want to look for? That is indeed the secret now, isn't it? Um, this is something that as a, as a realtor, as a property manager, as an investor, I've been doing this for a long time, and it's second nature to me to drive down a street, any street, anywhere, and to look at a house and say, ooh, there's a deal, a and to know the difference between something that's a really great deal and something that's not a great deal. But I'll tell you, there are some, some indicators. For one, I would say a house that's empty, a house that no one is living in. You know, it doesn't seem to me that the owner is getting very good use out of a property like that. If no one's living in it, then there is no money being made on it. And in fact, it is most certainly costing that owner money in taxes and upkeep, and yard maintenance and everything else every single month. And it's a drain. It's not an asset. It's a liability. So in cases like that, I would say that those types of properties are the very first ones that I would be looking at. Something that is unoccupied. The grass is high. There are either windows broken out, windows boarded up. There's definite indicators there. Maybe a neighborhood where it's not the prettiest house on the street. Yeah, maybe somebody lives there. But it's the ugliest house on the street. That too might be, if it's the right area, something that I would look at pretty hard. Um, something that has been problematic. Um, a house, let's say, for example, something that's on the MLS, something that's on the open market, but it hasn't sold in a really long time. And this is something that so many people overlook and forget about. It doesn't have to be the secret off market deal, it could be something that's right there listed on the internet. It says it's for sale. It's been on the market for like eight months. Nobody's touched it. 
It says they want a hundred grand for it, but I'm here to tell you if it hasn't sold, maybe you just offer fifty, and there's your equity. Again, it's not just seeing the house or seeing the right property. It's about negotiating a deal. That is also part of the buying process. When you look at these deals, you have to figure out, okay, is it empty? How much equity? And I'll tell you too, this is where you may want to consult with a realtor or real estate agent. If you don't know just right off the bat how to look at these properties and tell how much it's worth, how much you're going to be able to get out of it, how much you can rent it for, if these numbers aren't numbers that just pop right into your head, you need a professional to help you. You need someone on your team. We'll talk more about teams later, but a team is going to be one of your greatest assets. You're going to have to have the right realtor, the right property manager, the right people on your team and in your life to help you with these decisions, to help you run comps, because the busier you get as an investor, you're not going to run your own comps. You're going to pay someone else to do that for you, or you're going to have a person on your team who's going to be doing that for you because then they know that when the house sells, when you go to do whatever you go to do with it, that's your realtor and that's when they're going to make their money. So they're going to be happy to give you these little tidbits of, you know, this comp or that value or whatever, just because that's part of their job. But that too, your realtor is going to show you, teach you how to look for the right deals. They're going to explain to you how it is that you want to look at these properties, how you want to run your comps, how you want to judge things, and then again, how you want to negotiate. If you see something that's been online for a long time and nobody else is hitting on it, what you should maybe offer. And a good rule for me is 50%. Like if the house says it's 100,000, 50% of that, I'll offer 50. And we've talked more, Gene, about the 50% rule. You never want to borrow more than 50%. Well, you always want to cut it in half in 50% too, so that you know there's your value. If you use this method, it's just never going to fail you. You'll, You'll see. But yeah, so that's the buy. Then we go to remodel. So when you're starting to remodel the house that you've just bought and you're wanting to look into it and say, okay, how am I going to get the most money out of this asset? How am I going to pull this effectively later? You would think, ooh, I want to put the nicest materials I can, right? If I put into this, you know, particular property, if I put in quartz and marble and I do all these wonderful things, I'm going to get this money back, right? Well, maybe you will and maybe you won't. This is where when remodeling, you want a good contractor on your team. You want to have your contractor tell you what type of property, like if it's a modular home, for example. You don't want to put marble into a modular home. That's not going to work for you. You're never going to get a good return on that investment. You want to put something else in a, in a smaller starter home that's worth a smaller amount of money. Now, when you're talking about larger homes that are, you know, three, $400,000 houses end up, now you're talking about granite, quartz, marble, and nicer finishes. But these nicer finishes are going to go in nicer houses, and it needs to, it needs to match. The finishes need to match the price of the house and what it's going to be worth afterwards. And you need to have a good contractor to make sure that you're not overdoing your rehabs, to make sure that you're doing them up nice, but you're not putting in so much money that you're taking away your profit. And you need to have that nice medium ground where it's just the right finishes that go into that house and look like they belong there without costing you too much money 
and eating into your profits because every penny you spend eats into your profit. And you have to know where to spend it and where it's going to come back to you. Just a little example. I'm working on a modular home right now that is in a very rural area. And in this area, the owner of this house thought he was wanting to put in some fancy granite. And I said, no, 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 no. We do not want to put in fancy granite for two reasons. Number one, this is a modular home. And in this area and in this price range, it's just not going to work because you're not going to get that money back out. You want to put in a simple laminate countertop. And he didn't understand at first. And then I told him, not only that, it's too heavy. It physically, your, your cabinets will not support that weight. <laughs> it's not happening. But again, I had to explain to him how, for several reasons, this is not something we do in this product. But instead, this is what we do want to spend the money on. You want to take that same amount of money you was going to throw at them countertops, and you want to put that on a third bedroom, sir. That's where that money is going to make you some money. You want to go ahead and spend $200 putting up a wall right here and make another bedroom because that is going to get you more money every month. Whereas these countertops ain't going to mean nothing to nobody. So make sure when you're doing the remodeling that you're remodeling the right things at the right time in the right location for the right reason. Very important. And listen to your contractor. I'll add to that that you can keep your costs down by buying cheap appliances too. And uh, I learned that kind of in a funny way. My first wife and I bought, you know, a $350 dishwasher when we had our house built. When I got divorced and a good friend of mine was letting me rent very, very cheap and the dishwasher was broke, he said, hey, I'm letting you rent cheap. If you want a dishwasher, you can buy yourself one. I bought a $100 dishwasher. It worked just as well as the $350 dishwasher. And I thought, well, if it breaks and I buy another, I've still only put $200 into this. And the truth is, it never broke. It worked just fine. Those old appliances just seem to work better than the new ones somehow. You know, I like the older used appliances myself. Less mechanical, fancy machinery and computers means less problems. At least that's what I've found. So, okay, so we've gone through B, R, R is the next one for the rent. Once you've remodeled, you're going to want to rent out your property. Get some tenants thrown in there. Get them in there pretty quick as soon as you can. But you don't want to throw just anybody in there. That's where we're going to talk about the next part. When you go to rent out your property, now that you've got it fixed up and you want to rent it out so you have your passive income, I recommend a property manager, a professional who has been doing this for a very long time and is very well vetted, comes with references and the whole nine. So you find yourself a property manager who's local in your area, and they will help you to do screenings and do background checks and credit checks and employment history checks and court records checks and reference checks and been verified checks. There are so many checks that you can do on your, your tenants. And I would say, too, I can give you, I'll give you one. I'll give you one little extra tidbit. Something that I do, a secret that Wendy has as a property manager that probably everybody isn't doing as a property manager, but they should. When I'm screening my applicants, not only do I run all of this stuff on them, but they have to get there somehow. Usually it's in a car, right? So when I'm talking to them, I'll be chit-chatting, and at some point we both walk out to our vehicles and we say our goodbyes. When I'm looking and saying my goodbyes to them, I'm looking at their car. I'm inspecting their vehicle, believe it or not. 
I'm looking inside, even though they may not know this. I'm judging them based on, does their car look clean? What kind of car is it? Is it a nice car? Does it look like it's paid off? What kind of wheels do they got on this car? Is it pretty worn down and beaten up? Is it funky? When I do their address, same thing. I'm going to drive by that house, and I'm going to see how they're living. What kind of condition their yard is in, their house is in? Are they keeping it up? This is how you can tell what kind of people you're actually dealing with. Now, again, I become a professional private investigator, and I go to even more great lengths. I won't get into that. I'm not going to give away all my secrets. But it's part of the vetting process. I will tell you this. A good property manager is going to thoroughly vet your tenants. They're going to thoroughly make sure that you've got the right people in there. And then when you do rent it out, you're not going to have the problems that you, you hear about from some people, crazy stories about people destroying their houses and stuff. That doesn't happen in a world where you have thoroughly vetted your tenants. And another secret, you've gotten tons of money from them. First month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit. If there's a pet, hefty pet deposit. We're talking two to $3,000 minimum for just one pet. So when you've got this much money out of people up front, right out of the gate, what do you think is going to happen? You have got so much to hold over their head, they're going to behave like trained puppies. Every time, I promise you. These are secrets. These are tidbits that, yes, this is what you do. This is what you get for your property manager. And if you've got a good one, this is how it works. So you rent the place out. You do it for however long you want to do it. And then we get to the next R, which is refinance. At some point in the near future, one month, six months, however many months, you're going to want to look at your interest or your, I'm sorry, your equity again. And you're going to look and say, hmm, let's say the market has gone up. And, and now all of a sudden your $200,000 house, bam, it's worth $300,000. Well, now you've got more equity that you can pull out. You could, if you decided to, you could pull, I wouldn't pull all of the equity out again. There's, there's a calculation here. You never want to take more than 50% of what it's worth at that moment. So if you've pulled out 100000 and your house is worth 300000 you could still take out another fifty, And you could pull that fifty and buy something else with that and refinance and then reinvest. So once you refinance and you pull that money out and you've reinvested it in something else, then, of course, we're left with the last little tiny R, which is repeat. There's no need to stop. There's nothing that, that would make me want to stop. Once I've learned this great method, all I keep doing is doing it again and again and again. And Jean, as you already know, I've been using this method myself multiple times on the same property. Like I have bought, paid for, reinvested, paid off, Repulled out more money, paid off again, reinvested again. I've used this multiple times on the same one property. And the more properties that you acquire, the more times you can do this same method and double your money, double down. It's like doubling down on poker. Another thing to do, of course, is with the repeat is buy one, pull the money out of that one, do a second, pull the money out of the second one. Maybe you need to pull a little bit of money out of the first one again to get a third one and that kind of thing. And, and I know you've had investors who've done that because I remember when we first started kind of talking off air about this, you said you had an investor who kind of bought a neighborhood or, 
you know, got in with one house and eventually owned all eight or nine on the street or whatever. That is correct. I've got an investor friend that I got started and we did remodeling is how I met him. Um, but we became such good investor friends that we started doing things together. Well, he started out with this one house that he bought in Noonan, and it was just a little tiny starter home in just a little tiny, like, small neighborhood. Starter, tiny houses. So he got this one house back in 2008, I want to say, back when the economy just nosedived. He had a little money in his pocket, and I want to say he picked it up for like 10 or 15 grand, maybe. And he was a remodeler by trade, so he knew how to do all this stuff himself. He didn't put maybe 7000 into it, did the work 100% himself. So he didn't have a lot in it. He turned around after only like a month or two and went and pulled his equity out. He just accidentally went to his bank and said, hey, you know, what's going on? They said, oh, you can get this loan, blah, blah, blah. So he went and he got a loan, and he used that money to buy two more houses on the same street. And then he took the money from those two houses, and he pulled that equity out, and he bought four. And then there you have it. He had all nine streets on the house. I mean, it just, bam, within three months. I was fascinated when you first told me that story, and, and some of the blanks that you filled in for me was, you know, the ugliest house became the prettiest house, therefore the other owners then turned to him and said, well, can you make my house that pretty? Where other owners said, hey, I want to get out of this area. You clearly have a vested interest. You know, So in other words, it just kind of came to him and you. But also with that said, as you as a property manager, that scenario is when I first learned about how you select renters. And I realized something. That strip, that nine houses on that one street, because you so thoroughly vet, is the safest neighborhood, is the most trustworthy, because you're not going to let anybody in that isn't going to pay you. And obviously, that's your, your background. Would you call yourself a private eye or private investigator? To, uh, to vet these people is you don't have trouble later. And I compared you to a boss who was hiring employees. That's exactly what it's like, um, is a boss who's hiring employees. And I'll tell you this, too. When we started, or when he started on that street, it was the hood. It, it was not the best neighborhood. And he did buy the ugliest house. It was like the most rundown place on the street. But it became quickly the nicest house on the street. And when it did, property values started to go up. And every house that he got, property values, as he fixed, they went up and up and up and up. And now what turned out, like he, again, got the first house for, I don't know, seven or 10, 15,000 max. I don't know what it was now, but again, I want to say got it for seven. Maybe by the time it was over, he had 15 in it. That's what it was. And now this house, only seven years later, is worth over 200000 And we're talking a matter of seven years. So mind-boggling. It used to be not the, the best of neighborhoods, not, you know, not the worst, maybe. It wasn't like a crime-ridden neighborhood. It was just, you know, houses that were not fixed up and not big houses. They were small little, like, what do you call those? Row houses or mill houses? Very small, very plain, simple places that you would never think would be worth a lot of money. But yeah, that's another story that I'm like, dadgum, he took my idea and he ran with it. 
And, and that's what these investors do. They'll take all my good ideas and they'll just run with them, which is a good thing. So the Burr method can obviously make you as an individual investor a lot of good money, or it can make you lord of your own little kingdom. Oh, you can be lord of whatever you want to be lord of. All you have to do is keep going. Again, the only setbacks here are you. How often are you willing to repeat? You know, that one piece of money that you initially invested, that's all that really we're talking about here. It only takes that one piece to get started. So how many times are you willing to take that one initial investment and double down and double down and double down and double down? Because the repeat part, that's where some people get kind of, once they get to a certain level, they're like, oh, okay, I'm happy. I'll just stop here. And if you never stop and you keep repeating, I'm here to tell you it never stops. It'll keep repeating. You can burr continually till infinity. And I have personally, I know investors that have purchased four houses in less than six months and have done it with the burr method and have done it successfully. It doesn't matter, you know, how, much, how many months you've owned this, how many months you've owned that, how many other properties or mortgages that you may have concurrent right now. It doesn't matter how much money you make in your day job. None of that matters. All that matters is what is the house worth? How much do you have in it? And how much equity is sitting there to be taken out? There's, again, this simple math is very easy to figure out when you're doing the Burr method. And all you have to do is just keep going. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I think I've pretty well wrapped up Burr, the method of buy, remodel, rent, refinance, reinvest, and repeat, 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 repeat. That's all we have for this episode of Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Thank you so much, Jean. As always, have a good night.